I'm a doctor. I'm a surgeon. I come down here as a favor to Mr. King. You see, his hands are insured for a million dollars. Now, the insurance company's not going to let him walk out on that stage until they had him checked out by me. Meanwhile, I got a medical emergency downtown, but I can't get my damn car out. This film, I had no idea what it was, Hearts and Souls, and in my mind, uh, it, all I could come up with was Hearts and Minds, which is a documentary about the Vietnam War, about try, fighting the propaganda war. It's Heart Singular. Oh. Heart and Souls. Heart and Souls, plural. Yeah. Well, that's part of its problem. It's not a clear title, Heart and Souls. But as soon as it begins, it's immediately obvious that it's going to be uh, a spooky movie, a spooky comedy because it's got these titles which are sort of ectoplasmic. And so it immediately, I thought, well, I'm up for one of those. I'm yeah. always up for a supernatural comedy. That's clearly what they're aiming at. And it turned out to have Robert Downey Jr., which is always a good thing. So mm -hmm. Almost I was, always. Uh, well, okay, well, let's do a side tour, and you tell me, what, what, tell me about when you're bitten by Robert Downey Jr. Well, I've not liked his film. Yeah. Um, the Fat Period. So when he was coming off drugs big time and he would just make any old romantic comedy coming along. There was one with Marissa Tomei that I sat through and wanted to kill myself. Okay. Um, what was it called? Doesn't matter. It's um, not very memorable. And loads of stuff basically during the 90s and I can't stand all the Iron Man Marvel stuff so that's not for me at oh, all. And that seems to be all he's making right. lately and I wish Man. he'd make other films. He's very good but there's very good Shane Black scripts. Anyway, um, so Robert Downey Jr. was in it. That was a plus awesome. point. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang of course was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're suddenly remembering that he's okay. No, no, look, I adore this film and I like Downey Jr. in it, but um, I wouldn't say that all his films are a mark of quality that he's in them. I haven't had the bad experiences you have. I tend to regard him as, even in his drug period, as generally <laughs> a good thing to be had in a film. So this is, this film is extremely, it, it's great. I loved it. It's wonderful comedy, really moving. Mm. Did I see an email from you saying that you were tearing up while yeah, watching Yeah, you this. caught me right at the bad point in that film where I, I can never manage to get through it. It's it's a really well shot bit. And I wonder if it's the same bit that you were thinking of. Well, the, it's very it's very moving. And very, you know, it's a tearjerker. It's yeah. lovely. But it's... Okay, I want to talk about this film in relation to another film we saw called Vibes. Yes. Because they're both high budget, relatively, uh, Hollywood attempts at supernatural comedies. Yeah. And Vibes fucked it up so badly and the reason it fucked it up so badly as i go into great life i spent out 30 minutes on our vibes talk explaining what's wrong with it which is that they're great comedy writers who don't have a clue about the supernatural genre about fantasy or horror so they have no idea how to do it or how to exploit the possibilities this movie is the exact opposite of that i'm going to quickly credit the writing team heart singular and souls so it's two uh, two writing partnerships Gregory Hansen and Eric Hansen and Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson. And they between them, they wrote this all, all the drafts of this film, apparently. But what somebody in that team did is they, they worked out things carefully. So let's quickly talk about the setup of what yes. happens in this film. Uh, a suburb, they, we have swift vignettes, which establish uh, a girl who's a, working in a, a comedy club as a waitress and this guy from back home, Hicksville, 
comes and begs her to come back and marry him and she says no and then she decides she's done the wrong thing and she races off. A chap wants to be an opera singer and he's this relatively big shot in an audition and he just bottles it, as we'd say in England. He just yeah. chickens out and he leaves. So he, uh, so that's him set up. There is an African-American mother, single mother, who goes off to work. We'd see her with her kids and crucially with the lady next door has all these cats. I thought these cats are a plot point. And thank heavens they were. Uh, we establish a kind of burglar with a heart of gold, played by Tom Sizemore, about whom much more later. And we establish a couple who are just having their first child and the wife's going into labour and they're racing, 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 racing in their car to get to the hospital. Meanwhile, all the other characters we've talked about are on a bus and you can see what's shaping up. There's a big, tragic crash. The mother and father and the baby are all fine, but amongst the casualties are the bus driver, a little bit more about him later, and the other four people I enumerated. And they, their ghosts, their spirits, their revenants, become attached to this baby who's just been born because the car crashes induced labour and the kid has been born in, on the front seat of the car. And we then cut to him as a baby in his chair and these four ghosts, and they, you know, they're all dressed in their street clothes yeah. when they die, are entertaining the baby. And the mother and father are saying, oh, that, that, you know, he loves staring at that wall, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. It, I, it's a bizarre setup, and it's how I like I, it. It's how I found the film. So it oh, was, um, well, I often leave this till the end, but no, let's start by you telling me how you found this film. There was a BBC series, well, it's an American series, which was shown on BBC One in the afternoons, usually just when I got home from school, I think, called Movie Magic. Oh, great. And it just About focused, effects. Yeah, focused on effects, but it was really concerned with camera effects as well. Yeah. And they did a few episodes. I, I, this went on for a while, because I remember they did Deep Space Nine, but they did Heart and Souls, and this is before I'd seen the film. And the whole, the opening shot, you know, where you're above the city and the bus is yes. driving down the street. Yep. That's all a model shot. Lovely. Those clouds were all made, everything. It was oh, well, all models. I'd it's like beautiful. to watch it again now. Um, and the crash, obviously, is a model shot. It's not a very good model shot, but it's oh, great. Oh, it would completely convince me. And yeah. the sequences they showed the making of with the four people rising up as ghosts from the bus and yeah. floating off. And I thought, oh, I need to see this film. Great. And it took me about five years to find the bloody thing because they don't actually give you the name of the film. Were in, you disappointed when you saw it? No, not remotely. No. This has been a massive favourite of mine. And it, so it should be. It's a, it's a classic. It's a really yeah. good film. I adored it because the script is really good. It's funny. It makes it understands the supernatural convention. So, for instance, these ghosts are literally attached to the kid in the sense that they can't get too far from him. So, for instance, when the Tom Sizemore character, who's the most bullshit, i.e. rebellious of them, you know, starts to uh, resist his role as having to be part of the entourage, if he strays too far behind, he begins to be dragged as if by an invisible magnetic force. So the conventions like that, which are adhered to and used for comedy, are the sort of thing that vibes just didn't have. They just couldn't get wrap their head around it. So, And that's lovely. I suspect this film had fewer drafts. I think they probably pretty much had a good idea what they were going to do with this film from the word go. Uh, what they did, what vibes, they do is very weird because the, uh, yeah. I, at this point we still haven't seen Robert Downey Jr. I think, yeah. okay, he's going to have to be the kid when the kid grows up. And they do a very good... Well, actually, we stay with the kid a little more like he's at school. There's this brilliant bit where he's just in the toilet at school and his four ghost friends are all just waiting outside the stall and they're singing a doo-wop version of Walk Like a Man, yeah. which becomes a uh, sort of recurrent theme throughout the movie. And that's a lovely scene. But basically what happens is... It's a good kid too. They've got a good actor there. He's not on screen for very long, but uh, long enough, I suppose, to break your heart because what happens is they people can't help but notice that this kid thinks he's got these four you know, invisible friends 
and he's talking to them. So they're going to send him to the shrink and the ghosts decide we can't have this. We can't have him being put in a mental institution or stigmatized. So we're just going to pull a dis We're going to say goodbye to him and pull a disappearing act because they don't have to be visible to him. So they do that. And then we do a match shot uh, of the cut of the, sh the kid's face to Robert Downey's face. And he's now a yuppie. People won't even know what that is. He's a kind of <laughs> successful businessman. Uh, in a, not very nice successful businessman in an expensive car racing around doing uh, bankruptcies and foreclosing on businesses now I suspect in an, we see him at an aircraft an airplane factory telling them they've got three days and he's going to liquidate them and I imagine in some drafts of the movie that was a bigger plot because it seems to be shaping up to be a bigger plot but it's not so it just establishes that he's not a very nice yeah. guy Oh, well, the, the other reason it seems like a bigger plot is because they have Kurtwood Smith there, who yeah. does nothing. Yeah. It's a, is, is I can only assume he was doing it as a favour for someone. Is he the guy from all the Verhoeven films? Yeah, yeah. and uh, Dead Poets Society. He's very good. Yeah, he, he's good at everything, that guy, I love him. Yeah, so we expect more of that, but it doesn't matter. So what happens is, as you as you probably worked out, the ghosts are going to reappear in D Downey's adulthood, which is going to be a bit traumatic for him. And here again... The, I forgot what's the trigger for them to decide they have to... Oh, th I know. Yeah. They get a deadline. Yeah. So the other cool thing is that the bus driver we mentioned earlier becomes a sort of spirit, uh, spiritual messenger, a messenger from the heavens, sort of like Charon, uh, and he's driving the bus. The bus just drives... Like it's a ghost bus, so it can just drive in anywhere in, you know, into somebody's house. The bus driver turns up and says, oh, you guys, didn't you guys get, get the memo? You're all supposed to resolve your unfinished business on Earth, and then you know move on to the next stage and he, and he, he sort of says you've got to do that now so there's a ticking clock so our ghostly friends have to reappear to robert downey jr and also work out what it is they've got to resolve because which is interesting because it's not always obvious no. yeah so uh but here again the movie really scores on the screenwriting teams who knew what to do with the supernatural thing because when the ghosts try and reappear he just doesn't see them at first he has to sort of they have to sort of build up to it because he's so conditioned to not seeing them, they can't, which is a stroke of genius. And it's a further stroke of genius. The way they get through to him is he can't. They're in his sports car with him while he's driving around, being a, a bastard, and they're they're trying to talk to him, and he doesn't. But then they start singing "Walk Like a Man" to him, yes. and then he he starts to hum it. And we know we're gradually in business. You see, that's the sort of thing that was completely beyond the reach of the screenwriters uh, of vibes in terms of, you know, you look at the supernatural situation and you develop comedy from it by inventing the rules. So anyway, I loved it. I love that. And there's plenty more here. I've got. It <laughs> looked like you were going to say something else. No, I looked at my list of notes. You broke down. <laughs> uh, well, I, it's, that was such a good moment. I don't think there's enough films that focus on the imaginary friends of kids. <laughs> You've always got the most left field reasons for liking these movies, but uh, trust me, it's worth liking this one just because it's good. But yeah. tell me more about imaginary friends. There are, well, there's three things I can think of here. You've got Heart and Souls. There's Drop Dead Fred. Which is that the Rick Mail one? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I know about and that. Not great. There's a great episode of Star Trek Next Generation called Imaginary Friend about a kid who has an imaginary friend who gets her into lots of trouble and then it turns out halfway through the episode that this imaginary friend is real. Okay. What is that? Oh, that's the, yeah, the, the, that's the stack pipe causes the drain to, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot louder in the headphones than it was here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, it could, so, should have happened at a more ghostly moment in our discussion. This is a bit disappointing. Yeah, that was slightly. The Halloween one was weeks ago. Um, so imaginary friends. Uh, I, but I, I just think there's a lot of scope in it, and they don't. In the Star Trek episode, did it turn out the imaginary friend was real and the real friend was imaginary? No, that would have been a good twist. No, no. I'm going to use that. Erase was, that. Don't um, anybody else have that. Remove it from this. 
She, she appeared hostile when actually she wasn't really, as always with the Tarkovsky generation, let's face it, hippy dippy shit. But um, it was really well done and two really good actresses. And with this, I think the, the kid early on is fantastic. Brother, who obviously is, you know, insane anyway, did have a magic friend. I never did. So it is, you're right, it's an interesting I phenomenon. Didn't. I don't think I don't tolerate real friends, so imaginary <laughs> friend would be even worse. The worst of both worlds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, something I noticed this time around, which I hadn't noticed before, and we haven't actually mentioned this, but the ghosts have the ability to take over Robert Downey Jr.'s body. And this gives Downey Jr. the chance to do what? his full-on shtick. Yeah. Um, but what I hadn't really noticed until this viewing yeah. is how exaggerated all their body language is before... Uh, we before we do the we, we come to the future, yeah. So in when it, they they drop it once he's an adult, uh, because obviously it would be too noticeable. But when he's a kid, uh, their body language is way over the top, and certainly Tom Sizemore does the hand gestures. Well, well, a I was lot. wondering to jump in with this now, Tom Sizemore, who would go on to be uh, like a Tarantino heavy, basically, you know, yeah. psychopath of, of varying stripes, is wonderful in this. He's he's comedic. He's he's funny he's charming he's playful he sings he dances his career could have been so different i never realized that he had these capabilities <coughs> this is probably the only film i've liked him in well you see i when i was talking about him as a, as a psychopathic heavy i was not denigrating him he's tremendously effective in those roles but who would have thought he could have done this and it's one warms to him so much more in this but then he's surrounded by really good people as well. Oh, wait. Because you've got, got Alfred Woodward. Yes! <laughs> Damn you for getting in there first. I thought she's, she's the African-American uh, single mother. She's not in anywhere near enough stuff. She is a revelation because throughout the movie she plays it quite buttoned down because she's a buttoned down character. But towards the end, several times, the mask drops and you see this wonderful charm yeah. shining through. And she's just fabulous. She is. I've, Playful I've always fabulous. liked her and stuff. And um, in this well, film she's especially, done. she's great. Well, it's Star Trek again. She did um, First Contact. I did see a big Patrick Stewart image when I came to the IMDb page. So yeah. What year was this? This film was 90, what, 1990. 1993, oh, actually. No, yeah, okay. it would have been later. There we go. That explains yeah. why the same series did uh, Deep Space Nine. So that's Heart and Soul. Space. So I'm quickly looking. A uh, lot of she did Frasier. Did a bit of Frasier. Um, I wouldn't know. I never watched Frasier. So I might go back and find those episodes. Oh, Gulliver's Travels, that would be the one written by Simon Moore. Brilliant, brilliant. I was quite cross. She turned up in, I think it was Iron Man, or one of the new Marvel films, and I thought, oh, great, Alfred Woodward's in it. She had two lines and then was gone. She's in Primal Fear, so I might watch that. That's sort of thriller that I'm into. Homicide Life in the Street, an episode. Uh, but as we can see, she's not seen the world on fire where she no, should be. She really she's, should be. She's tremendous. Tremendous. Uh, uh, it's her that makes me blub at the end, because it's... Um, Oh, she's in 12 Years a Slave. Jesus. When she twigs that the cop is who he okay, is. Now, look, this script is so good. It's so brilliant. Because what happens is Robert Downey Jr. keeps getting into various scrapes. And uh, they begin to... Uh, for instance, he gets a speeding ticket because of the ghosts distracting him in the car. And that's not too bad, except that he's got £3,000 in outstanding um, traffic violations. So he's in the cop shop, in the police station, paying his fine... And this uh, cop, who's just great, he pays him the $3,000 and the cop says, thank you for shopping with us, which is this great line. But what is wonderful is that then something else happens and he ends up in the police station again and it's the same cop, right? So it becomes a running gag. Uh, and what was the... Somebody says the line, too long plus one month. Do you remember what that was about? 
Um, it's, it's, an, it's another great yeah, one. It's how long it takes to get adoption records unsealed. That's right. So yeah. again, the dialogue's brilliant in this and, and very funny. Uh, but this cop turns up several times. We think he's a running gag, but he it's wonderful. He turns to be the long lost son of Alfrey. Hmm. Uh, and it's such a beautiful piece of script construction because I didn't see it coming up, but when it, when it began to hove into view, I thought, oh, that's beautiful. It's just really great. And then you've got that problem that Downey Jr. has to react to this and give him the news or give him the message from his mum, but try and make it sound legitimate. And all the while you've got, yeah, Ron Underwood's gone nuts here. He's, he's whoever's, I can't remember who did the score for this film now. It's, uh, yeah, it's Mark Shaman. Mark Shaman. Right. I mean, he's going all out here, but you, you're trying to cram this dialogue in as well and trying to explain how he knows where his long-lost two sisters are and the lady with the cats and everything else. I love Downey Jr.'s improvisation of that story, even though it's not improvised, it's scripted, but uh, he delivers it so well. Well, it's a very funny scene because at one point, so you've got this this great big uh, cop yeah. and he's there with his wife and his child and his, his dead mother is standing there and he can't see the dead mother and the dead mother says to Robert Downey, you've got to let me in, into your body and so she can hug and kiss her son, which he pulls off just about. Uh, and uh, the cop's his final line, he says, I'm going to check this out, Riley. And he drives yeah. off. And then the mother says, and this is Alfred. <laughs> now she says, oh, he's such a cop. I'm going to check this out, Riley. It's just gold dust. Really, really wonderful character stuff. And I just loved it. Loved and it. It's so sad because you know that she's got to go as well at this point. So you know that the trouble is each time one of them resolves their problems, yeah. they leave the they film. They have to get on the bus. And get on they the leave bus. so quickly. So Underwood doesn't give you any time at all to get used to the fact that they you, you get this huge emotional moment and then they just get taken away from you and you're back onto the track of, okay, we now we've got to resolve everyone else's problems. You do have this thing that you've got this wonderful ensemble cast which begins to narrow down and you, you feel do feel sadness at that, at that happening. Were you surprised when B.B. King turned up? Oh, look, it was so good because <laughs> as anybody who's listening to this who's paying the slightest attention to the plot will realise that the guy who, uh, who, who chickened out of his big debut... Harrison. Yeah, Harrison, who, who's played by... You I froze. can't remember his name. It's um, he's very good. Rodin, Charles, Charles Rodin. Rodin. Well, he's a comedy god in America, well yeah. remembered. So he's going to have to stand up and sing somewhere. And so what they do is they drag him onto stage before a BBC BB King concert starts or a BB, uh, and he sings the national anthem, and he does this by jumping in Robert Downey Jr.'s body, but just behind, just as he's about halfway through the anthem. B.B. King comes on stage and begins to play a few chords behind the Star Spangled Banner. It's a wonderful moment. It is. And it, again, you've got that great moment where just as it's coming to its full, the bus comes on stage. The bus and is you a realize brilliant that suddenly conceit. They're going to go again. Superb, yeah. Because the bus can just come on anywhere. As yeah. you say, it drives on to state this big green 1950s bus, which is like the spirit chariot now. But the again, again with the brilliant script construction, at this concert, it's fulfilling all the aforementioned plot functions. Meanwhile, um, Robert Downey Jr.'s girlfriend throughout this movie that he has to what he has to resolve in his own life is his problems of commitment to his girlfriend and he's promised to meet her parents and he's, he's failed to turn up because he's been helping the ghost but the parents and the girlfriend are at the concert so it just winds the stories together in the, in the uh, audience at the concert and they see him sing it's like I, I, I never knew he could sing <laughs> it, and so it's just fabulous it's such a well written script I'm going to have a look in a minute to see what else these guys did because it's their, their uh, Supremes I think Underwood gets away with a lot in this film because 
Because they're not visible and because the bus isn't visible. Now, here's the director. I've yeah. to look that up. And you have to shoot around this and remember that all your extras and everyone else mustn't react to the ghosts that or the bus. they can't see, yeah. And there are some sequences in this where that's really difficult. And the best one is, and it, this is the testament to Downey Jr., is that you forget that it's not Alfred Woodward doing this. It's when he has to blag his way into this. It's very thing. good. And she's doing. She, he's doing the full. It's so difficult. He's doing the full performance, and the people walking past aren't really paying much attention. But Kyra Sedgwick is there right next to him as well, and uh, Charles Grodin as well. Uh, the extras manage to completely ignore them, which extras aren't very good at this. Well, they're not. They're, yeah, they're, they're only day players, right? <laughs> and yeah. the bigger the crowd, the worse it gets. And once you're on stage, and the band are there, and everything else, and for example, once the bus is on, BB King's up front. The concert started. Security are bustling in the background, trying to wait for a moment to run on, but they're not hiding behind the bus. It's very, the whole thing well, structured you know well. What? I tell you, I should see it again, which I would love to do because this ra- this jumped straight into my list of favourites. It was such a lovely film. Yeah. So, you know, I love supernatural stuff. Supernatural comedies, when done properly, are tremendous. Like, for instance, Blythe Spirit, the great yeah. great example of this. Um, so. But this I, isn't. I wouldn't class this as a supernatural film. This is just. Uh, oh yeah, no, no, no. Ignore him, folks. He's just talking crazy well, talk. I mean, it's not. It doesn't rely on the supernatural. It's just a gimmick. Yeah, but at least it's a gimmick that's successfully exploited. Unlike in Vibes, but very much like in Blythe Spirit. Yeah. Uh, but Ron Underwood did he direct Tremors? Yeah. Okay, so that he sort of did some uh, kind of comedy horror type movies, or or you know comedy. He handled visual effects well. So let me just see what else he's done. So he did sort of comedy SF genre thrillers. I thought he did that. Oh my God, he did Mighty Joe Young. That's such a disturbing noise. Yeah, I, what can I say? I wish it was my cat, my <laughs> cute cat going back and forth. But this is what I put up with. The stack pipe is settling. So wow. loads of TV, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, well, I'm just looking at his list of credits. He seems to have moved into television very heavily. Well, doesn't everyone... I suppose he did City Slickers, which is again yeah. it's a script by the guys I've been pillaring. Yeah, they're the guys who wrote Vibes and did a terrible job, but normally do a great job. And they did City Slickers, which was directed was just the movie before Heart and Souls by this director. I never knew that. So mm. no, he's good then. I think he's yeah. quite a cool, cool director. Uh, I think he does more with this film than it looks like he does. Um, it. It performed terribly. It, it wasn't a success at all. It died and down. And why do you think that was? Because unlike Vibes, I can't see a strong reason why it wouldn't work. I don't know either. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I suppose it depends what it was up against at the time and what else happened at the time. But 93, I think this might have worked in the late 80s. I think by 93 it probably... Well, also, it's it's a bit unusual. It's... When was Ghost? Ghost was what, 91? It's also it's a slow burner because it has to set up all those characters at the beginning and Robert Downey Jr. hasn't even appeared yet and people have the attention span or a fruit fly sometimes. And we, we have to bear in mind, Robert Downey Jr. was not that popular at this time either. But it's such a good... <laughs> I'm surprised it doesn't have a bigger sort of uh, social media following in terms of, uh, not social media, sorry, uh, streaming. Okay. If it was on Netflix or somewhere like that, everyone would claim it was their favourite film from childhood. But the thing is... It, you can't even get it on Blu-ray. Um, it's so difficult to get hold of. The, I don't think it had a UK DVD release. It had a really shoddy US release, um, which was the old VHS transfer on a disc, which was really great. So it would be nice to see it get a bit more love, this one, because I, I think it's just a fantastic film. 
And there's another bit we didn't talk about, which is the, the lady in the um, psychiatric ward, um, who, when Robert Downey Jr. goes up there in panic, that's when they've just reappeared. That's very smart. That's very smart. Um, that's that great line about the, um, you tested me, I'm testing you. <laughs> well, what it is, is when Downey Jr. does begin to see the ghost, he, he assumes not unnaturally that he's uh, gone nuts. Yeah. So he heads up for the psychiatric unit, and there he meets a lady with mental health issues who does see them, part of her disposition is that she can see the ghosts and that just verifies their existence which is very interesting i do feel elizabeth she isn't given much to do um she's it, better than that she's the love interest right yeah yeah um but she she plays exasperated well but she doesn't get anything meaty to nobody do. is that interested in that story although it's in a way it's sort of essential it's also disposable i know that sounds like a strange thing mm. but the he needs to have a, a an arc a journey right but it's not a very interesting one, but it doesn't matter because everybody else's journey is so interesting. Yeah. Now, I was talking about Wilson and Maddock, who were one of the... T- there's two teams who wrote this, and one of them disappeared without a trace afterwards. The others w- were Maddock and Wilson, who went on to write loads of stuff, including Short Circuit, which was the movie about the... Uh, oh, I love yeah. Short Circuit. And they wrote Tremors, which we just talked the hell out of. Ghost Dad, I begin to see a pattern here. <laughs> I, I have no idea what Ghost Dad is. Heart ghost Dad is... Uh, um, you know. Bill... Uh, Cosby film. Is it ghost? Yeah, it's shit. It's terrible. It's... Well, you say that, but I, I on the synopsis, <laughs> I, you've actually seen it, have you? Yeah, yeah. They did Wild Wild West. Is it West. the Bill Cosby one? I'm sure it's called Ghost Dad. Uh, they did Wild Wild West and a load of Tremors sequels, and then they seem to have not. They seem Wild to... Wild West. Yeah, you know the oh, remake with. Uh... Okay, that's probably what killed them off. But I. That film ended a few careers. <laughs> oh, but I, I don't think it's such a bad film. And Selma Hayek wears funny underpants, but. Show her bottom. What more do we want from a piece of stuff? A lot more than that. It wasn't, it, folks. It wasn't that bad, but it, it didn't. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's in it, and he's he terrible. Of, <laughs> it kind of slightly captured the uh, the appeal of the show, of the TV show, which which I, I love. Which might be a reason I'm defending that movie. So, okay. So where was I? Uh, you were talking about the writers and the, the, what else they did. So that those guys did have something of a career, and Matt has seen most of their films. Oh, <laughs> Ghost Dad. We wanted to see Ghost Dad with stars. Bill Cosby. Well, I want to know if. If, if it, it is, then I bet you can't get it anymore. <laughs> yeah, my God, he's a. What could be wrong with him being able to walk through walls? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Moving swiftly on. So it's a, it's a it's a thumbs up. For it's Heart more than a thumbs up. You know, uh, I've had this thing where you've given me a movie which been, has been the best of the bunch. So we had a uh, bleak midwinter, best of the bunch, and then along came way way back, terrible title, great movie, which is probably topped it and this is probably top that but I'd just, let me just say that they're all really good and they all do have a sort of common theme that they're all sort of feel good movies about people coming together yeah which is it shows Get you used an, to it. an old softy <laughs> at heart so yeah I'm glad you liked this one because like I say it's, I loved it it's Joe and I's film well I, that's it's a nice film to have absolutely and they keep using that song in it Walk Like a Man and they use it very effectively oh so, well, there's that amazing bit where Downey Jr. joins in as a grown up where they're walking down they the did, street where they're just crossing the street yeah so after, oh that's another th- I, again uh, so this is just after Robert Downey Jr. has had to pull off the burglary that the burglar didn't get to pull off and the reason it's a good burglary is that some little kid had these rare stamps that were stolen and the burglar has second thoughts and wants to return them but he dies on the bus before he can achieve that so Downey Jr. breaks into the house the reason I'm telling you is there's a great moment uh, in the Back in the 50s, Sizemore is the burglar. He breaks into the house. He gets caught. He escapes by climbing out a high window and jumping onto the roof of the house next door. Downey Jr. tries to do the same thing, but the house isn't there anymore. 
Well, this is the confusing thing is because it's not Downey Jr. It's the same person. No, okay. But so Downey Jr.'s playing. He's the, in Downey Jr.'s body. This is the burglar in Downey yeah. Jr.'s body. This is notionally Tom Sizemore. Yeah. But yeah, so he tries to jump off and it isn't there. Again, this is genre brilliance because people think, okay, what can we do? Which the, the innate supernatural nature of this movie provides the opportunity for fun and, and gags. So I love that. But yet, just after that, they, they, all they do is they walk across the road, folks. That's all that happens. They, they successfully pull off the robbery. And I think at that moment, Sizemore goes and then they cross the road. Uh, no, still, they all sing together because that, yeah. this is what I'm saying about Ron Underwood. He gets you right up there and then he brings that bus in every time. Yeah. And so, so they triumphed, they've got the stamps back. I think they might even have returned them at this point. But anyway, they're crossing, the, all they're doing is walking across the road and they start to do the song. They start to do a dance number of Walk Like a Man in the middle of the road, Downey Jr. amongst them. And he, he's, it shows that the ghosts have loosened him up, which is their job. To but what him. you have to remember is that to anyone else watching, it's just Downey Jr. on his own. Dancing it's, down the street and whistling and it's singing. It's such a lovely moment. <laughs> I, I sense I know what audio clip might be involved in. But thank you for introducing me to this movie. I loved it. I, and people, more people should know about Good Christmas recommendation because it's a heartwarmer tearjerker. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. It, this could be your uh, Christmas carol equivalent this year if you want some uh, fuel-type ghosts. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. I assure you, Sergeant, I'm not drunk. I'm not on drugs.